Would you like to exchange best practices and ideas to improve care, enhance operational efficiency, and address financial challenges with your peers? Becker's Healthcare is facilitating these conversations at their 8th Annual Health IT, Digital Health, and RCM meeting. You can check your eligibility for complimentary attendance at the link in the description. We are excited to welcome you in October. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Ethan Booker, Chief Medical Officer of Telehealth and Medical Director of MedStar Telehealth Innovation Center at MedStar Health. Dr. Booker, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about, and I'm excited to get into the meat of our discussion because I know telehealth and virtual care is something that is on the top of so many minds in healthcare today and really making sure doing it right is a top priority. But before we dive into that larger discussion, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I think it's it's useful to kind of set me within the context of my health system, I think. So as you mentioned, I'm the chief medical officer for telehealth at MedStar Health, which is kind of an interesting role, not a, not a role we needed a few years ago, and one that I've grown into as our health system's capabilities in telehealth uh, have come along. So um, MedStar Health is the largest healthcare provider in the Maryland and Washington, D.C. region, uh, spread out over more than 300 locations and 10 hospitals, uh, urgent care clinics, ambulatory care centers, really all of the features of a regional uh, health system, including a focus on, on the academics that we produce and research, education, and training uh, in our uh, sort of flagship academic hospital, MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. The journey that I have had myself is I'm, I'm an emergency physician, and I've been working clinically at MedStar, at MedStar Washington Hospital Center in D.C. for, uh, this will make 18 years uh, now, and have had the opportunity to work in a variety of areas around innovation and improvement. Um, air medical transport, uh, that kind of thing. And starting in 2015, began to have the opportunity to use telehealth to improve operations in our emergency departments. Uh, and so in 2017, when the MedStar Institute for Innovation, where I sit now, uh, chartered the MedStar Telehealth Innovation Center, uh, I came on board in partnership with Bill Sheehan, my boss, the chief innovation officer uh, now of MedStar Health, uh, and we began to build the capabilities uh, of of telehealth that really prepared us for uh, the moment in March of 2020 when much of what we built uh, came to fruition. And I think we'll probably spend some time talking about the journey from from that date onward and and where we're at now. Absolutely. I think that's such a great point because for so many, that inflection point of the pandemic beginning really put them down a, a very fast-paced journey towards virtual care and telehealth in one that they weren't necessarily prepared for at the beginning, but you know now are really able to lean into and become uh, advanced within that technology in that space. So based on your experience, and especially the last two years, what are you seeing as some of the big opportunities as well as headwinds that you have your eye on? Yeah, I think there continues to be, um, you know, a lot of excitement uh, about the opportunities that are in front of us in telehealth and, and using those tools really to expand the envelope of, of the way that we care for folks. You know, we're really excited that, you know, just recently in, in March of 2023, we surpassed 2 million telehealth encounters over the, that three-year increment that I, that I mentioned starting in March of 2020. And as an, an academic health center, we're um, 
excited about the opportunities to develop better learning in that space, including research that, that I co-lead with partners in the Metzger Health Research Institute, as well as partners at Stanford and Intermountain and the, the Connected Care Access Research Equity and Safety Consortium, the, the Connected Care and Safety Consortium for short, um, that, that is supported by grant work from AHRQ, that we're just really excited about the opportunities to focus on safety and quality in the delivery of telehealth. I think those are some of the opportunities that we're, that we're really excited about uh, to kind of demonstrate um, the, the success that one can have and really changing the care model for, for the way we, we care for patients. And I think that's really, you know, the big opportunities here are, are about creating continuity with patients, really creating an experience that, that is, is or can be ubiquitous without being invasive uh, to really change the, the model of care delivery and think uh, really about the care delivery as opposed to the location per se. Um, so those are the, some of the opportunities kind of in a, in a global sense that we're excited about. Um, I think that the headwinds, as you mentioned, um, are kind of, they're kind of twofold in some ways, um, or at least how I, I am experiencing them myself in, in, in our organization. The major one that's external is really the evolving telehealth policy landscape. Um, and that is a really complicated one because it's not just sort of one set of rules. It is the rules that are determined at the federal level um, by acts of Congress, by the regulatory environment uh, of the, the many agencies that are involved, whether that's HHS um, and Medicare rules or how it is that they guide states in Medicaid implementation, uh, as well as other regulatory agencies like DEA regarding controlled substances. And then each of the states individually uh, in having their own uh, rules and regulations and reimbursement landscapes, which really does create a significant headwind for how it is that we move forward. Now, the thing that's really very positive is that um, the federal legislation uh, that came out towards the end of the calendar year last year, ongoing guidance from those regulatory agencies is very positive as a whole, um, as is the state environment as a whole, um, but the complexity of the interaction between the two kind of creates this circumstance of, of some uncertainty um, about, you know, for any individual provider thinking, well, for the thing that I do, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for me in the way that I approach my patients cohesively, right? Because it's not as if particularly around telehealth, you're dealing only with one state's jurisdiction or you're de dealing only with one payer, you really have to approach, you know, kind of all jurisdiction, all payer model, you know, in a place like, like uh, MedStar Health spread out over DC, Maryland, and Virginia, that can create the kind of complexity that creates the second headwind, which is one that's internal. And this is true for all health systems. That complexity and uncertainty creates a, a sense of a conservative approach. Um, and so the challenge or headwind that, that is created by those external features comes in the internal environment by trying to help us. You know, we try to be clear with our organization what's permissible, what's reimbursable, uh, what's kind of safe and high quality, what's equitable, uh, that kind of guidance. 
And we really have to be consistent in that messaging, both understanding it from those external um, parties, but also being able to communicate it effectively to our own people so that we can remove that uncertainty and that bit of hesitancy um, that, that can prevent us from leaning as, as much into these opportunities as we'd really love to. Um, so I, I think those are the two things that kind of contribute, both that regulatory framework that then creates the uncertainty internally that in some circumstances, not all, but some circumstances just kind of creates a hesitancy uh, that is the job of our innovation institute uh, to often innovate around and overcome. Absolutely. I think that's such a, a great point. And, you know, definitely um, with, with any of that uncertainty, whether it's the regulatory, the telehealth or, or anything else um, that, that's happening, I know change is happening so quickly. And so it, it's great to have that kind of outline of, you know, how do you approach that with your team and, and really keep moving forward, even though you know that, you know, there are certain things that aren't set in stone. So I really appreciate you doing that. Has the team been pretty responsive? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a question of of consistency um, and also kind of, you know, the ability to get in with the team themselves and do the work. Um, as I mentioned, I, I've, I've been an emergency physician in my health system for, uh, for getting close to 18 years now, and I work clinically every week and so experience uh, what it is to deliver care. Uh, and so I think I have the, the great fortune of being able to engage with service line leaders and frontline clinicians and, and kind of say like, listen, I know this is hard, um, uh, but this is, this is an opportunity for us to do um, a better job of, of providing access to our patients, to, to connect to our patients, um, to be uh, innovative and flexible about our workforce, um, addressing not only the demands uh, of a really changing environment for for hiring and, and retaining workforce, but making sure that 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 they're sort of operating efficiently and effectively and and do sort of well in the work that they are doing. And I think those are the things that you know approach that way. This is a way to to improve the access to your patients. This is a way to improve the efficiency of our practices. Um, this is high quality care. It consistently, I do have have positive results from folks, and we've had just terrific partnership within our system on on and not just kind of pivoting, you know, things we used to do in person to now we can do through a different modality, but really rethinking the model of how we're delivering care. Absolutely, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and definitely is inspiring to hear that you know you're able to really keep your eye on that goal of better patient care. Now, from your vantage point, and especially what you're doing with the Telehealth Innovation Center, how do you really see that adding value to the organization overall? Where do you see big opportunities for growth, and how are you measuring that? Sure. I, I mean, I think they come along the same lines that I just described. And so I'll, I'll give you an example of, of, again, not just replacing one thing with another, but really pivoting the model. So we are working with our clinical service lines on a model called connected care. Uh, the implementation of this most in its most mature firm is in primary care. So in our connected primary care model, we have um, a workforce and workflow transformation in which we've added new workforce, uh, including nurse practitioners and medical assistants who work 100% remotely. 
uh, and focus on a handful of activities that we know are going to be high impact. Um, those activities include same day and next day telehealth uh, appointments with established patients because, as I pointed out, access is a critical issue. Uh, and so we've been able to improve access to our primary care footprint um, as measured by third next available appointment uh, in those um, practices in which we've implemented. We're about two-thirds of the way through scaling through this implementation, uh, at which point all 360 of our employed primary care providers will be supported in this model. Now, what was important about the change was not just inserting telehealth to, to drive this change, but we protect nearly 50% of the time of those nurse practitioners to do the kind of asynchronous work um, that's really important for access, but also um, was sometimes preventing our primary care physicians from focusing on the face-to-face -face encounters that they really wanted to be doing. So those activities include things like prescription refills, uh, portal message management, lab follow-up, and also opportunities to be the, the supervising clinician for remote patient monitoring for folks with chronic illnesses that are appropriate for that, for that um, type of service. So um, the prescription refill in particular is worth pointing out as a, as a way of, of leveraging a remote workforce and asynchronous type of work. And we've also um, inserted some automations into that process to make it as efficient as possible. And the, the 12 nurse practitioners who are currently in support of our primary care footprint have supported more than 270,000 prescription refills that would have previously been done by primary care physicians either after hours or, or squeezed in between the appointments where they were seeing patients. So in addition to the, the nearly 20,000 telehealth visits that we've done, um, which were access to our established patients, we were able to take the load of those prescription refills off of, of the primary care physicians and we've measured the impact of that through a couple of different ways. One of them is about our cycle time to refill these prescriptions, which has improved significantly. But another one is actually after hours EHR time by the supported physicians. So we've been able to demonstrate in some of the practices that have really leaned into this, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30% reduction in after hours EHR time for providers. So that's that 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. time that most primary care doctors will tell you was um, every day something that they were doing uh, and what really was, was not the most fun thing they could do in their practice. And so by, by taking that and being thoughtful about how we manage it, uh, we've been able to allow those primary care physicians to actually have some increased capacity in their day to see new patients or more complex patients and so in addition to generating the, the novel revenue of those telehealth visits for the nurse practitioners, the productivity of the supported physicians has also gone up. This is a model that is entirely additive. It's not just moving things around from one to another. Um, and the impact of patients has really been significant. We, like a lot of health systems, use Prescani to understand the experience of our patients. Uh, and we've seen some really significant improvements in percentile rankings, particularly along the lines of access uh, of our patient experience scores as we've scaled this model through our primary care footprint.
Um, right now, we're also using this model, not an exact replication, but really a framework of how we think about using these technologies uh, in cardiology. Uh, and also, we're thinking about the opportunities to use this not just as a sort of service line transformation, but to think cohesively about a disease condition or a patient population. So we're also applying this model to diabetes um, as, a, as an approach where we're looking at the opportunities to uh, engage patients with a chatbot, remote patient monitoring, uh, grouped sessions for diabetes education, and again, kind of leaning into the model of how it is we can optimize our resources, which we're a big health system. We have, we have, we are well resourced in many ways, but we, like other health systems, are constrained. And how do we become very efficient uh, while also improving the quality of care we deliver? And that's a, a kind of way of thinking about how we use these tools uh, to really to move forward and not just in a um, incremental replacement, but really in a, a transformational way. I love that. I, I think it makes so much sense to, um, you know, think through how you can leverage that technology um, to make things easier for the clinicians as well as patients and, and uh, become more efficient as an organization. And I really appreciate the detailed way that you went through how you track and measure and think about, you know, what that return on investment for these changes in these technologies are. And speaking yeah. of that, I know that, um, you know, um, right now is a particularly challenging time for many industries, but healthcare in particular dealing with inflation and, and short staffing for many organizations. And so from your perspective, what do you see as being an important investment or a risk that's still worth taking, taking um, even as healthcare resources and dollars are precious? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think what I laid out for you in our connected care model was, was focused on the inventory environment, you know, um, the, the clinic, the office, the patient's home. Um, but obviously, we're a, we're a hospital system. Um, and so um, there is a, a significant amount of opportunity in, um, in making smart investments in our inpatient footprint. Um, and uh, we also have a, a very large uh, nursing workforce, which is one of the areas that, like other health systems, uh, is a risk. Um, and, and our ability to recruit and, ret and retain nursing staff uh, is really an important part of where we see value for ourselves going forward. So um, we think that the inpatient environment, starting at the patient and thinking about the patient. Um, autonomy and control of their environment through technology is an important place to be making an investment, but also one that we can effectively leverage to make ourselves more efficient, uh, meaning um, getting more technology at the bedside for the patient to feel connected um, to their care team, to the services that we provide to their family members um, as a way of staying connected to them while they're in the hospital, whether they happen to be, you know, just across town or across the country, that digital connection is really important at the bedside. But it also allows us to bring services to the patient, such as our palliative care team, uh, which has a really robust capability uh, and is really leaned into telehealth as a way to deliver those services. Um, our acute pain service uh, is rounding on patients fairly routinely, uh, and we're working on ways in which to deliver things like chaplain services and music therapy, 
uh, and case management to the bedside in a way that is efficient and effective, standardized and centralized throughout our system. So that introduction of technology at the patient bedside in the inpatient setting is a place where we think it's worth making an investment, but it has a set of risks as well. Um, the introduction of new technology to a workflow always comes with the risk of friction. And so kind of an additional part of the investment we've made is a group of, of, of our associates that called Telehealth Technology Coordinators or TTCs. Uh, that really grew out of a, a kind of redeployment and volunteer program that started during COVID, but it's matured and formalized to be a group of people, non-clinical people, um, who can be quickly dispatched with appropriate technology to a patient's bedside to kind of proactively prevent that friction from occurring, either from the patient side and really importantly from the nursing side. We want our nurses to be focused on clinical care of patients and not doing these things that are that are not clinical care, that are that are not within where they should be spending their time and energy and focus. And so the TTC gets to the bedside and facilitates that encounter to make sure it's it's seamless for the patient, that it's comfortable for the patient, and that if you're a palliative care physician who needs to be engaged with the patient and the patient's family members, you have certainty that that connection is going to happen and you yourself don't have to do the troubleshooting as a clinician to make sure that it happens, but it's really all queued up for you. So we think there's great opportunity for an improved experience for patients and their families uh, in the inpatient setting through greater control of their environment, some autonomy, more connection, more information, more ability to deliver education, a more seamless um, transition back into the their home in the ambulatory setting, uh, but also for us to be more efficient as a business to distribute services more effectively, but, and, and that may come at, you know, we want to make sure it doesn't come at the cost of distracting clinicians from doing the work they should be focused on. And so we've made that investment for someone who's really proactively there to make sure it doesn't become an environment full of friction. That's such a great point, Dr. Booker. Thank you so much for um, jumping in and talking through all of that. Now, I know we are um, have had a great conversation. And before we wrap up, I just wanted to know, is there anything else you see as great opportunities for growth in the future or anything else you wanted to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I started by talking about opportunities for continuity. You know, I mentioned this connected care environment. I mentioned um, talking about the inpatient environment. And, and some more patient technology there that allows a more seamless transition back home, back to the ambulatory environment. And I, I think, you know, just sort of, again, globally, strategically, the opportunities to really create continuity um, and what I would describe as, as a, a, a ubiquitous experience without being invasive is really where the opportunities are for growth. Um, and what I mean by that ubiquitous but non-invasive experience would include things like remote patient monitoring, partnering with patients to understand their own consumer wearables, um, really thinking about a cohesive approach to partnership with patients about the data they are collecting in many ways themselves uh, and how we can create for them a climate of care um, 
that is less dependent upon the locations where they happen to be for care, um, meaning not just at home, but at work and in transition and as they go to visit family and friends and, and really being available to our patients in a way that is really continuous and comprehensive uh, and to do that in a way that also meets the needs um, that they're likely going to have proactively uh, and rather, rather than waiting reactively for an encounter to occur. Um, and I think there's going to be lots of different pieces and parts uh, to do that effectively. That means thoughtful change about our EHR, um, which is still encounter-based. Uh, it means thoughtful um, changes about data, data security, um, how we collaborate with patients on the data they're collecting themselves and how we visualize it, how we manage the noise of all of that. Um, so I think there are definitely challenges in there, but I see great opportunity um, for application in that space of really thinking about ubiquity um, and continuity. Absolutely. Dr. Booker, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting conversation, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Great. My pleasure, Laura. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks. To help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized, and meaningful way, Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.